welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the associate. God, oh, the lights are so bright. <laughs> it's always so startling. Um, I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I am the associate pastor here at Awaken, and I have the privilege of teaching this morning. Really excited. It's been a minute. <laughs> Every time I teach, people applaud when I introduce myself, and I think that's a just unreasonable expectation for me to have. <laughs> Um, anyways, if you're just joining us this morning, we are in the last week of a series that we do most summers called Lost in Translation, where we take kind of the hardest, most complex, maybe confusing uh, passages in the scripture and give it our best college try in attempting some sort of interpretation. Um, but really, it's a series that I think Uh, maybe holds a different kind of honesty about some of the hard things in the Bible, but also like the beauty that comes when you really wrestle it down and that God does speak through those things. Um, So today is no different. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. And if you are able, would you stand for the reading of the word? When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Pray with me. God, for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, Lord, I pray that in this moment uh, that we would sense that your spirit is holding whatever we're holding uh, with us. God, that you would come underneath my words this morning and speak something true and good and whatever might not be true, that it would fall away like chaff. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Quite the words. Short passage, but definitely not sweet. Um, This passage, traditionally understood, like when you maybe look at, pare it down and what it's being said, it's about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. It's about counting the cost of following Jesus. Uh, And I don't necessarily disagree with any of those things, um, but I kind of want to enter the teaching this morning in maybe a little bit different of a way, uh, with a little bit of reflection um, on a question. And so for you, when you think about the idea of following Jesus, what expectations or what were you told about what your life would look like? if you decided to follow this Jesus. And so for some, if you grew up in church, that's maybe something you have a lot of context for, uh, that it was going to look a certain way. Uh, For those, maybe you've never even considered uh, the idea of following Jesus. For some, maybe it evokes some pain or frustration because your life maybe looks different. Or maybe it's like your greatest source of joy this morning. But I, I think... 
as people of faith, it's important to ask ourselves these questions and to take time to reflect on specifically this, what did you expect? What kind of things were cultivated in you about what your life would look like if you choose to follow this Jesus? I'll share a little personally about mine, um, and then hopefully a little more broadly about theology in the church, specifically in the American context, that I kind of want to poke some holes in this morning. Um, so I have talked about this before. I grew up in uh, going to church uh, in a non-denominational setting, evangelical, predominantly white, suburban uh, church, and I grew up in a home that practiced Christianity where, like that question, the idea of following Jesus was not foreign. It was just part of everyday life. Uh, and, and I want to name, as we reflect on that question together for ourselves, there are some things that we are maybe explicitly taught, but there are also things that we implicitly kind of catch along the way. Like maybe no one intended for us to actually learn it, but we did. And those things are at play, and they both serve to form uh, us and, and answer that question. And so all of that to say, here are some of my answers to that question. That when you follow Jesus, it means that you experience forgiveness and love and freedom that when you follow Jesus, you live a life that would be in service to others. And as I got a little older and maybe experienced a little more of the world, I learned that following Jesus meant that whoever I conceive of as the other, like now that person is central, right? That liberation and healing happens when you follow Jesus. And those are all good things that I'm really thankful to have caught along the way. But there's one narrative in particular this morning that I want to highlight that I also caught. And it formed and shaped me pretty deeply. And it sounds a little bit like this. That when you say yes to following Jesus, you will get what you want. Right? Maybe it showed up for some of you as it did for me in the psalm, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on, your, on your own understanding and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. <laughs> right? Like that was so pervasive in how I grew up. It should have been my first tattoo. You know? <laughs> right? And so... Like, along with that expectation that whatever I desire, if I just trust God for it, it'll come, those desires were also often named for me. And so it looked like, well, you will be married because God created a person with you in mind. And if you're just faithful, God will bring that person to you. And then what will happen is you're going to get married and then you're going to have a house. And then after that, you're going to have some babies. And then maybe on the side, you're definitely going to have some financial stability and access to education and health care. And all you have to do is be faithful to Jesus to get it. Right? Now, I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with having those things or that God doesn't even provide but that was a narrative that deeply formed and shaped my understanding of what a life with God might look like. 
And I share all of that because I really don't think I'm the only one in the room that maybe picked up on that. But what feels so important this morning is to name some things that that narrative actually sounds a lot more like the American dream than Jesus. Can I get an amen? Doesn't count if you have to ask for it. <laughs> Just kidding. Right, but, but it's this promise and vision of upward social mobility, of just working really hard and you will be taken care of and Jesus will bless you. I, on social media, I have some friends, well, friends, Facebook friends, whatever they are, uh, of a handful of women that I went to high school with and it's women from all sorts of different groups of high school um, and they've all stumbled upon this workout program, which I will not name, <laughs> maybe you know. Um, but it's been fascinating to me to like observe some of the rhetoric and that all of these women from different uh, parts of, I don't know, our high school groups all kind of have the same template. It's like a five paragraph long post that goes a little like this. I was at rock bottom, and the Lord provided this workout program for me. <laughs> and now I'm skinny. <laughs> and now I have money, and I actually met my partner, and we just had a baby. And, you know, the, and so it goes on. that All of the things I never thought I was worthy to actually get, I now have. And isn't God just so good and so faithful? And all I had to do was be faithful and say yes and risk, right? <sighs> and I, I mean, I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with those things or even the idea that, like, shoot, God does and can meet you at rock bottom, those things are not untrue. And yet, and I also don't want to speak poorly of these women who have clearly found something that they have found some meaning in. But what I do want to call out and critique is a vein of theology that creates an expectation or assumption that when you just say yes, when you are faithful, you will live a life that contains everything you've ever wanted. And I'm sorry, I just think that's harmful. Because the truth is, life is not a formula where you just, you know, surrender the one time and then the magic happens. Like sometimes you don't actually get what you want. And sometimes you have to do the work of surrendering over and over and over again, and it looks like there's no fruit in doing that. And sometimes you hope for a thing, and you trust for a thing that's so reasonable and so good, and it never comes. And I just think it's really dangerous and really painful when we've been set up to believe a thing that maybe isn't true about who Jesus actually is and what it actually looks like to follow. And this passage is maybe a little more accurate, right? This passage, along with all sorts of other 
passages in the scriptures, we're encountering like the not nice Jesus. This is bristly Jesus where it's sort of like, huh, okay, like he said that. How do I hold that? What do I do with that? And when we read this passage in its context, it's following three stories of healing. The first where Jesus heals a leper. A leper is a person deemed by society as unclean, unfit, can't get in the room. The second is the Roman centurion's daughter. The Roman centurion was a person of privilege and power whose life's work was basically to maintain the status quo of the Roman Empire. And finally, a woman. Need I say more? <laughs> and following those moments of healing, we have these two disciples approaching Jesus. And the first is a teacher of the law, who's likely a scribe, and he approaches Jesus and he says, teacher, calls him rabbi, uh, in the Greek, and he says, wherever you go, I will follow you. And that's actually a very, or I guess a relatively common interaction. If you're a scribe, you would want to identify a rabbi that you would become the disciple or follower of. You would come under that rabbi's teaching and live a relatively secure life. And I imagine that this man, as he approached Jesus, maybe expected the conversation to go a certain way where it's like, you know, you're stroking the ego of this rabbi saying, I'd like to follow you. And Jesus looks at him and is just like, oh, here's the deal. I don't have what even animals have. I don't have a home. Which is to say, maybe it's more a kind response than we think. Because Jesus just acknowledged that, man, if you pick me, you might actually have to leave some of the cushion in your life. And, you know, whatever expectations you have for what this relationship is going to look like, it might not be that. And so, just remember that. Like, I'm not doing what I'm doing for the stability. I don't have a home. Which is just wild to me. You know, we don't always pay attention to Jesus' actual life. And so what would it mean to actually acknowledge that Jesus, this one who many of us in this room profess to follow, whose life we seek to emulate, this Jesus that we say is the perfect picture of what it is to be a human, what if we were to actually acknowledge that God was a person experiencing homelessness? Because that, he didn't have a home, right? And can we hold that? Can we hold the implications of that? And I'm not saying that we all need to become itinerant teachers or leave all of our stability. But what I am saying is that we will do better if we can remember the actual form that God took when God came to earth. Right? That if we seek relationship with that kind of God, where a steady life is not the ultimate promise, can that remembering create in us some more realistic expectations of what life with God might actually look like? The second disciple approaches Jesus with a request to bury his father, uh, which was a request of utmost importance culturally. 
So in burial, a man would be exempt from all religious duties, uh, everything from daily prayers to study of the law to going to temple to circumcision, sacrifice, the whole gamut kind of falls to the wayside because burial and the burial process takes the utmost precedence, right? And so he comes to Jesus with this, and, and now many scholars say that this is most likely a hypothetical conversation, a hypothetical request, because if he was actually in the week prior to a burial, he would have all sorts of things to be doing and just wouldn't have time to be around Jesus. But regardless, some of the, the point of that interaction is that that request is kind of cloaked in this request that you would delay until you maybe had a thing together before you follow Jesus. So to say that, you know, after my father passes, whenever that might be, then I'm all in. And Jesus responds with a sharp, like, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Which in interpreting that, like, what do you mean by that? Because truly the dead can't bury the dead. But what's being said is that those who are spiritually dead, those who are maybe unable to see the importance of the moment, like, go ahead. You can go to your father. You can wait for him to die, and you can bury him. Jesus gives him this out. And I think one of the reasons this text is so hard is not just because of the content uh, or what it reveals or what's maybe true of where these disciples are, or maybe even how the text invites us to interrogate, like how do we understand following Jesus and where are we in these disciples? Because that's what the text does. But what's so hard is that it just feels like it's this one and done thing. They missed it and it's over. Like no mercy. Going back to what we talked about earlier, we all have a lens by which we interpret and read the text. Like the things that stand out the most, sometimes it's because of how we've been formed. And so I read a ton of pressure in that moment and like they missed it, but you wanna know why? Because I grew up in a setting where the emotion of that particular moment when God was going to do a thing and if you miss it, the entire trajectory of your life is changed and it will never come back and you will never have another opportunity. That's what I hear in that passage. But that's also how I was formed. And that's not to minimize like the power of a moment when the Spirit is doing a thing. Like I am the product of many of those things. But it is also to just acknowledge that sometimes you're going to have failure too. Sometimes you're going to miss it. Whatever it is that you sense you're being invited into, you might not always do it. And it's part of the deal. And, and what I want to correct this morning is that these two men were just one and done. Right? Because, now the text, I don't know that that is actually the point of the text, to say that these people find Jesus. I'm making this up. <laughs> but I'm just of the opinion that the invitations never stop. That they come over and over and over again. And I like to think that maybe a little bit later, Jesus finds these two again. And he invites them. 
And maybe to that first one, he's just taking a little bit more time to think about what it might actually mean to hold your comforts loosely. And that, that maybe he's now in a place where he can give a wholehearted yes. And that when Jesus finds the second one, that, that maybe that disciple now realizes, oh, man, when you said that, I was just really afraid and I have some issues with control. And maybe I don't need everything to be cleaned up and together before I say yes to you. And I say that confidently, that invitations come again, because it's just been true for me. Like in the big invitations that I have royally missed and in the really small ones. I was just last Saturday, uh, I had to run an errand. Early in the morning, I had to stop at the gas station. There's a BP over on Hamlin and University. Uh, I moved to St. Paul. <laughs> That's been really fun. Um, I have a new gas station. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so I had to run this errand uh, Saturday morning to get some cash because I was going to the Elko Traders Market. It was not that fun. <laughs> really wasn't. But it was weird. And I was with people I loved, so it's just fine. But anyways, so I had to run this errand. I'm running late. Um, and I walk up, and there are these three men standing there. And one guy had a Windex bottle and a rag. And he came up, and he started saying something. But another guy came up and interrupted. And it was a fine interaction. Um, just like in my brain, I'm like, all right, got to go get some cash. Blessings upon you. Let's go do this. And as I was getting cash, the third gentleman, um, who's an employee at the gas station, came up to me and he's like, hey, just so you know, like that first guy, he actually wanted to provide a service for you and he wanted to wash your windshield. And I just thought you should know that. And I'm like, okay, thank you. You know, I appreciate that and continued on. And when I walked out, that man came up to me and just said, hi, you know, I'd love to wash your windshield. And I don't know, I just kind of heard him and I looked at him and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm running late. No. I got in the car and I drove away and it was like, oh. I messed that up. I had $2 in my pocket. What's two minutes when you're already stupid late? I have been trained in how to like interact and care for people. How to see the humanity and dignity in another human being. And especially when there's a difference in social class that my call is to bring dignity to that human. And sometimes that's just by receiving a service and to respect the lifestyle that someone needs to survive. And I missed it. And I keep driving by that gas station, just keeping an eye out. But the truth is, I will have another opportunity. And I hope that time I won't miss it. 
how do we, as people, who are maybe all in with Jesus, that's no question for you, or maybe you're not so sure and you're searching for something real and true, or maybe you've drawn a hard line and, and you sort of don't buy into that stuff, but regardless, can we be the kind of people that can see and act in real time the things that we are being invited into? Can we be the kind of people that when we miss it the first time, we keep trying and we keep looking for it? And can we be the kind of people who are a little more honest? That the life we can expect if we actually decide to follow Jesus will probably contain a lot more interruptions and a lot more needing to loosen our expectations than we thought. This morning, I have the privilege to share a little bit about a person in this community uh, who caught it the first time and who let her life be a little interrupted uh, and is setting out on quite the adventure that I would love to see this community of people come around and celebrate and champion. Um, a little backstory for those of you who maybe don't know, a couple of years ago, when we were discerning, like, what does mission look like at Awaken, it became abundantly clear in a beautiful way that one of the things that God was inviting this group of people to do was um, to care for refugees, specifically asylum seekers. And just to name, for those of you who maybe don't know, the difference, a refugee is a forcibly displaced person um, who had to flee their country of origin, for war, famine, all sorts of, of things. Um, but what happens is that vetting process, the legal process of being resettled into a country has already happened, and so you are called a refugee. And the difference, an asylum seeker has that same kind of threat, is forcibly displaced, but has to cross a border first. And what happens is you go and you apply for asylum, it is a perfectly legal status, and you begin that vetting process at that point after you've already crossed a border into another country for safety. And they say it's a process to go from an asylum seeker to be approved as a refugee, that it takes about 18 to 24 months. In reality, it's actually closer to three to five years which is a lot. During that time, if you are still an asylee, you are not eligible for any government assistance. You can apply for a work permit within the first six months of, of uh, applying for asylum. The point is, is that this is just a terribly vulnerable place to be. You are dependent on the gen generosity of others. Oftentimes you are a person experiencing homelessness. That, honestly, this is sort of digressing, but that is probably the most common request I get. Even more than like people calling the church for food, it's our asylum seekers that we've partnered with and there is a constant need for housing, always. There are two people right now who need a room. That just is and will continue to always be the most important need and so Katie Becker, uh, who's been at Awaken the last couple years. She actually helped start this ministry where we partner with a handful of different organizations um, and seek to build relationship together. Uh, Katie works at a school working with primarily ESL students. 
Um, and this past November, December, she started kind of educating herself about immigration and detention centers and, and what that looks like. And she started reaching out to all sorts of different organizations to learn, like what is the most critical need? And what she found is that there is a very critical need surrounding juvenile detention centers. So what typically happens is when someone turns 18, ICE will come to the juvenile detention center and move them to the adult detention center, which begins a whole trajectory for what life might look like, unless there is a, an address or a place for these people to go. And so Katie found Bethany House, which is an organization in Chicago that actually provides housing for these young women, for young women in particular, coming out of juvenile detention centers. And so Katie, you know, it's like the point of no return. You start to learn about this stuff and you realize you have to do a thing. You're not quite sure what. And so she just very simply thought, like, what does my life look like? And where is that intersection of this need? And how could those things go together? And she just started to think, well, I don't know, I'm a teacher and if we had, I don't know, maybe a house where some young women stayed with us, like they could come to school, uh, I don't know. So she started talking to her friends about it, and one of her friends is like, oh, I would do that with you. I'm all in. And so I'm thrilled to say that after a very long and winding road, she was able to find a house in St. Paul Katie and Ruth Ann uh, are like moving forward with this project. It's a house called Safe Start because that's what it is, a safe place and a place to begin. And two young women uh, will be identified and will move up to Minnesota and have a safe place to start. And Katie, I mean, when, when we interpret that story and that process, it really is an embodiment of everything we've been talking about this morning. It's an embodiment of faithfulness that is really open to following in a way that breeds some risk, some interruption, and probably a lot of adjustment around expectations. In every sense of the word, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And neither do we. But are we open to following in that kind of way? Where we hold our expectations about what a life with Jesus could look like maybe a little bit looser, where we could see and respond in real time the moments that Jesus is saying, follow me, like now, here. I'll be with you. You don't do it alone. And I always want to be really careful in a sermon like this, uh, where it's like the illustration of following Jesus is this grand gesture. Um, but maybe just a kind reminder that my invitation to follow Jesus was to just let a man wash the windshield. That that is equally as important and formative. So all of that to say, you, Awaken, are invited to participate in this beginning. Uh, we are wanting to partner with Katie and Ruth Ann as kind of an offshoot of the refugee ministry that we do. 
and so for the month of December, we are wanting to furnish and get donations to kind of create this space for these two young women who are going to come and, and experience maybe a brand new adventure in itself. Um, and so this is like a perfect opportunity if you're a life group or if you have a friend group to get together, to go in maybe on a big item like a mattress, but man, I would just really love to see this community show up and support a dream and vision that I think is really good. Um, if you are interested in participating throughout this month, there is a sign-up sheet in the back. If you just put your name and email, Katie and Ruth Ann will reach out. Um, and otherwise, it'll be in the Awaken Weekly with a link and all that. So that's the other way you can do it. Um, so show up, Awaken. <laughs> I just love, uh, I don't know. We have the, powering, the power of welcoming people. And so let's do that. Um, as we transition into a time of response, we will take just a brief moment of silence um, and then move into singing. And during that time, it really, there's freedom for you to posture yourself however you need. Our prayer space is available during that time. Um, but what I want to identify is the song that will come out of the silence is uh, a song called The House of God. Uh, and it's basically reciting the words of Psalm 23, um, dwelling in the house of God. And so should you feel comfortable, I would love if maybe we as a community held those words as a prayer for these young women, uh, both the ones coming to Minnesota, but also for Katie and Ruth Ann as they embark on this adventure. But also, um, maybe to hold these words for you as an invitation uh, that thought about what it means to follow Jesus, and, and I don't know, the hard things that we encounter as we try to do so, um, that this is a picture and image of who God is. Sometimes we forget that God is a shepherd, that God is gentle and kind, and that God is actually worth following. Um, so, again, time of response. Uh, We'll take a moment of silence. So pray with me. God, thank you for the ways that you keep inviting. Thank you for the ways that you keep showing up even if we miss it. God, I pray that in this time you would say what I forgot to say to your people who are hungry and who want to know you or who maybe want to want to know you. So God, be with us in this moment and minister to us. Amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.